Hey, I'm Sam. And I'm Lizzie. And we're queer people who love movies. This is Subtextual. <laughs> hey, guys. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Lizzie's got the giggle fits. I do. What's wrong this with This is a me? really weird movie to get that gi- the giggle fits. Too. This movie makes me giggle and cry. <laughs> Giggle and cry, yeah. It's all the senses for God. sure. God, yeah. We're bringing you another sad movie. What the hell is Don't wrong say with we. us? <laughs> you, you are complicit in this. <laughs> okay, that Lizzie, is what happens? If anything is clear, listener, Lizzie has a type. Okay, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. What What is it? Uh, movies like this. Movie that's vague. Give me at least one adjective. Um, Lizzie loves movies where the story isn't determined by like f- like fast paced events. So it's like you know it meanders at times. The pace is set by like what the person is going through. Like usually like independent films. Bill Hader, you know. Bill Hader is my type. <laughs> is he? <laughs> okay cute we're talking okay well before we get into it uh we just wanted to say thanks uh beautiful listener personally i don't speak for lizzie but i know that i've just been feeling a warm and fuzzy feeling inside about this podcast recently a lot of people have reached out and just said some really kind things and we really appreciate you guys listening and if you go that extra step and you do subscribe to the patreon that's really the cherry on top of the sunday so we're we're really just glad to have you guys here if you're interested in supporting the Patreon, you could do that at patreon.com slash subtextualpod. But like I said, I'm getting the warm fuzzies anyway, so. Yeah, I've been feeling warm and cozy. This movie in particular makes me feel so cozy, like I want to put on a sweater. Yeah. I actually chose it specifically for this like lead up into October because, oh, I wanted to talk with you, me. with everyone here, mm-hmm. about some of our plans for Spooky Month. We've got yes. like a whole slew of great Halloween movies coming your way in the next. We are so lucky. We get five Mondays in the month of October. So we're taking full advantage. And one episode is going to come out on Halloween. That's a very special episode. So mark your calendars. Uh, But yeah, this is our first October. Yeah. How do you feel about autumn and October and PSL season. I fucking love it. We're in the deep south. So that's like <laughs> as soon as it dips below 90 degrees, I'm just like, oh, it's just going to put on a cardigan and like flip through a book. She literally came to a party this past weekend that I went to in a long sleeve <laughs> shirt and jeans. I cannot stress to y'all how much it was 94 degrees outside. I was sweating. I was like a football <laughs> game. Everyone's playing cornhole in the sun and I just feel like a child with a weird illness sitting inside and looking out the window (laughs) i'm putting on sunscreen this bitch is in like a turtleneck i'm like i get you though you want you want autumn to be here absolutely did you get that feeling of like cozy fall watching skeleton twins absolutely there there's leaves abound halloween costumes bill Hader's always wearing some type of sweatery thingy or a scarf yeah exactly he's always in a scarf he's his looks his looks for this were not cute they were a character though like (laughs) they were the third character of this film (laughs) his like that little skinny striped necktie scarf from Mm -hmm. like 2001 do you know what i'm talking about it's usually like black and pink striped yeah it just yeah we should get gays used to signal to each other (laughs) homosexual like the tip of the yeah exactly had you seen this movie before what was give me like a quick read on your experience watching skeleton twins i've seen skeleton twins before i can't remember when or where or with who I know that it's something you like, so I'm associating you with memory, but I don't think I was with you when I'd seen it. I might have watched it in high school, actually. Mm -hmm. But I remember having like a pleasant takeaway, but not really remembering anything from the film because it is kind of slow. Mm -hmm. So watching it back for this episode was really pleasant because it was like I was seeing it for the first time. Yeah. I think when I'd seen it in high school, there was some jokes or I guess the vibe didn't really match with me um, because they are kind of jaded and, you know, understandably by life and... Mm-hmm. I think watching it now as, as someone a little bit older, I was like, oh, yeah, it's exhausting to be alive. It's, it is. It's really tough. So I really liked it. I think I'll get into some things that okay. I didn't love so much, but overall positively. Great. Yeah, I saw this movie in college, so probably right after it came out. And I latched onto it so hard. It was to me, at that point in my life, I was really dreaming about 
this like independent filmmaker life that I wanted to have of being like a director and maybe like moving somewhere cool and working with people like Kristen Wiig. And so this to me was like, if I can make this film and oddly enough, Charlie Countryman, these are like my two films I watch a lot. I was like, if I can make one of these two films or something like this, like I have made it. I did it. Wow. That's it's, I feel like a lot of film students have that there's a couple of pictures in particular, and they're always super random. I mean, unless you're yeah. a guy, then it's Pulp Fiction. But <laughs> if you're anyone else, um, I think mine was The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Oh, yeah. You love Fincher. I fucking love Fincher. And then um trying to think of the other one, but I had DVDs that like just – I had a TV that played DVDs. You know, it was mm-hmm. like built in All one. one. At the foot of my bed, like my toes could touch oh, it. Oh, I remember that thing. Yeah, and I would play like the director's commentary and stuff. Yes. Yeah, I totally – I'm putting myself in your like mind's eye when you're watching it. And it's good to know that this was your – like that was one of your movies. Yeah, you totally get it. Yeah. Um, Lee, my skeleton mm-hmm. – y'all can't see us, but <laughs> me and Lee are – accidentally wearing the same shirt it's black with white bones on it the bones glow in the dark they you look get like the phoebe bridgers i'm the only one over here with fucking flesh <laughs> what'd you think of skeleton twins had you seen it before i hadn't seen it before i'd been aware of it and had like always wanted to see it because i'm a huge bill Hader, kristen wig fan who are the producers of this movie the, the oh, it's the Duplass yeah. brothers. So it oh, reminded yeah. me of movies like Jeff Who Lives at Home or things like that. You know, it felt super indie. For me, it was like very middle of the line. Like I remember I listened to some, maybe it was like a This American Life podcast where someone was like, yeah, does it pass the um, must love dogs uh, test? Like must love <laughs> dogs is like not too great, not too bad. It's just like a middle of the road movie. So if any movie is worse than that, then it's a bad movie. If any movie is better than that, then it's a good movie. So for me, it's a muscle of dogs territory for me. Oh, that, but I'm excited to hear you guys talk about it. I, I, see it. I love that like ruler <laughs> for, by determining what is good about it. I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah, that's great. I have a quick punch in. I just wanted to correct myself. I'm thinking about the movie The Truth About Cats and Dogs, not Muscle of Dogs. Very different. I feel like Muscle of Dogs is uh, below. Oh. below The Truth About Cats and Dogs. <laughs> And Cats and Dogs, the spy movie, is above. Yes, is above. It's it's in the good. We should do a tier list. That should be one of our fan services. All the Cats and Dogs movies? Yeah. Any movie about Cats and Dogs tier list. Where does Cats fall? Ugh. <laughs> Hell. Yeah. Way low. Below Earth. Well, great. Well, let's jump into it. I'll talk a little bit about the people behind the camera, behind the scenes of this film. So... Uh, this film is directed by a man named Craig Johnson. His This was his second film. The only other thing that he has made that I saw is um, Alex Strangelove. It's like a coming-of-age high school queer romance where the main character, this cute little guy named Alex Strangelove, falls in love with um, Antonio from Caleb Gallo. Okay, and Wonders oh, Life of Caleb Gallo, the Tony, one that he's... Tony Mars. Yes, exactly. Oh my God, I love that. Caleb Gallo is a YouTube series created by... Uh, Brian. Uh, Brian Jordan Alvarez, yeah. And um, if you guys have seen it, it the, the person she's talking about is uh, the one that Brian Jordan Alvarez is like obsessed with. Yeah. Oh, they're so cute. And they like FaceTime date. It's yeah. so sweet. But anyway, <laughs> that person is the love interest, so... Um, Craig Johnson directed that film and he's he's a very successful independent filmmaker. He does truly indie stuff. So Craig Johnson premiered this film at Sundance where it did pretty well. I mean, it got fucking distribution theatrically, so good for them for a, a independent movie. And Craig himself is an openly gay man. He's married to TV writer and food blog persona person Adam Roberts. I didn't know who this was, so you didn't know who this was, but I'm mentioning Adam Roberts, his husband, because he has a book coming out this month called (laughs) Give My Swiss Chards to Broadway, the official (laughs) Broadway Lover's Cookbook. Give my Swiss Chards to Broadway. I thought that was so sweet. And my birthday is coming up. So really that's what you want for your birthday. I was like, I I was like we're doing give my Swiss charts to Broadway, a cookbook on the podcast for your birthday. I'm expecting a <laughs> present is what I'm saying. We're just going to be reading the book for hours. We're like two cups of flour. <laughs> Can substitute for sage. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I listened to, God, I haven't done this since fucking college, but the, this, this used to be my jam, but you mentioned it. But I went to the library and rented the DVD of Skeleton Twins, found a DVD player, relearned how to plug it in to watch this film's 
audio commentary with Kristen Wiig, Bill Hader, and Craig Johnson, the director. And it was, I, I had such a great time watching it that way because Craig Johnson seems like a truly sweet and kind person. And then Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader are literally siblings. I think that there's a parallel between director's commentary and podcasts. You know what I mean? Because I would watch You're director's right. commentaries and I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm sat at a party. I'm like sat at the table. Literally with these talking people. back yeah. to the commentary. I, I was, was like, doing Whoa, that. that's so cool. Like, so maybe that's what started me on this podcast journey because. Wow. Because yeah. you were a commentary listener, I would assume. Uh, what what gives it away? <laughs> what about me? Screams! Oh my god, me too. I if I love a movie, I have watched it with the audio commentary. Oh, absolutely! I'm a big commentary guy. I'm the kind of person that will get drunk on a Friday night and play Catan <laughs> until like three in the morning. So obviously, I love commentary. I'm just a huge dork. Oh my god, I love that. And actually, one of the surprises we're sprinkling in this month onto the fan service is a fucking audio commentary we recorded with Lee and Charles from the Northern Overexposure podcast of yep. one of our favorite movies of all time, My Big Frat Greek Wedding. Mm -hmm. So you will have that delicious commentary available to you um, on our Patreon. So just look out for that. So some other people involved in the production that are noteworthy is um, Craig wrote this script with writer Mark Heyman, who's, get this, this person's first screenplay he ever wrote was for Black Swan, which he wrote alongside Darren Aronofsky. Wow. So he's like... NYU? Did he go to NYU too? I, I'm 100% positive he did. Wow. First ever. Darren Aronofsky. Imagine? That would be so intimidating. Yeah. So, because one thing I will say is that, like, for me, the writing of this film, every word in place, every dot dotted like every scene is so quick and just flows right to the next and it's a great shifting of tone Mwah. just gorgeous yeah the dialogue is is really like the shining star of this it's and it feels really natural and well no surprise a lot of the comedic moments are like purely improv or improv off of dialogue set from the script like if you have bill Hader and kristen wig yeah. In a room. You, you let them riff. You let them improv. It's going to be better. Yeah. There is some, the scene I'm thinking of that was like, oh, I remember watching me like, oh, this is improv is when they're in the dentist's <laughs> yes. office and they're high on nitrous and they're kind of just like, <laughs> your hand went my arm muzzle. My paper route's going to be screwed. That's something I say all the time to myself because I'm like, that is the deepest cut ever. Um, no one's ever going to know. But yeah. <laughs> um, and then a couple other people who did such a great job in this. The score was composed by a man named Nathan Larson, who has done like literally a million mostly independent movies and TV shows. But one of his earliest movie scores was, was for the movie Boys Don't Cry. Wow, nice. Very impressive and beautiful, beautiful score. And the DP's name is Reed Morano, who Reed Morano is one of the few celebrities or someone I consider a celebrity that I've actually like met in person. And when I met Reed Morano, I was like, I was starstruck. I Wait, was like, who is that? She's so cool. She was the DP, but she's also a director. She directed and DP'd a movie called I Think We're Alone Now, which like no one has ever seen, but it's Peter Dinklage and Elle Fanning kind of in like this post-apocalyptic world. So good. Uh, she directed a few episodes of The Handmaid's Tale and was one of the DPs involved in Beyonce's Lemonade visual album. So she's got like a very, she's just got such high quality uh, taste. Like I'm like, I want to be Reed Morano. She's one of the coolest people ever. And she has two upcoming projects. I, I like to keep tabs on her. She's got two upcoming projects that I thought you would be interested in. Yeah. One is a movie called The Godmother, <laughs> which sounds it's exactly what it sounds like. It's about like a mobster drug lord woman mm -hmm. played by J-Lo. So uh, that's coming out in like a year, I let's think. Go. And then she's also uh, the director of a series called The Power, which is based on a book of the same name by Naomi Alderman, who we met and adored in the Disobedience episode. It's basically this like kind of sci-fi world where women have the ability to electrocute men. Work. <laughs> and that's the general premise. And that <laughs> will star Tony Collette. So just like high quality individuals mwah, mwah, all across the board. Tony Collette is my button. Like if she's in fucking she, anything, I'm going to see that she shit. She do it for you. I fucking love her. Yeah. I, I get it. So yeah. So all these great people came together. It was a very small crew. 
pretty tight budget, and you can really see that reflected in the film, how they just kind of all made it work. Like a good example, you just brought up the dentist office scene, which is super iconic and so funny and so touching at the same time. That dentist office was like the actual dentist office of one of the uncles of the producers. Like he just called his uncles like, hey, Uncle Doc, I need a dentist office. Can we shoot after hours next week? And you know, those are the kind of like locations they found, which that's like my background in filmmaking is like very indie, who do you know, run and gun. So it was fun to like step back into that mindset because it's been a while since I've been on set of a feature and, you know, intentionally. So it was nice <laughs> to like relive that dream state I used to have about indie filmmaking. Yeah, it does seem very like, like tight knit and uh, really effective. I, there was never a part where I was like, oh, seems like maybe they shot this out of convenience or they did this and they really wanted to do something else, which you see in kind of other movies. But mm -hmm. it, it seemed like they got everything that they wanted to out of it. Yeah. And one thing that they kept saying in the commentary that I watched is that they allowed a lot of space when they were filming. Like they let Bill and Kristen like have time to play on a set and play in a scene and that like, and seeing them play and be together in a location would a lot of times motivate how they would end up shooting it. Mm. So like the DP was very much involved and the costume designer and the production designer were all like right there in these places, like working it out together and everyone just being really hands-on and you can really see that like everyone is face-to-face -face in this film it's very cool so let's get into the plot i was thinking you'd come stay with me so okay if i tell them we're trying to get pregnant that's great and yep. you say we are because it's not sexist that way right that's what you told me yeah i can't wait to be the creepy gay uncle you're hired well, last I heard, you moved to L.A. to be an actor. Yeah, did you not hear I won an Oscar? Oh. Surprise. Wow. Back from the dead. What are you doing here? Um, when did the boys show up? It's dyke night, sweetie. It's what? Dyke night. All right, so a real quick trigger warning before we move forward. This movie is about two very sad, um, mentally unwell people. Um, so there's lots of suicide and self-harm. It's it's not it's not always light. So if that is harmful for you, please feel free to skip this episode. And uh, otherwise, let's just dive right the heck in. Ugh, this movie is just every, this is everything I need a movie to be. This is like my base. You know, Lee was talking about how what is it? The must love dogs. Truth about cats and dogs. The truth about cats, <laughs> cats and dogs is like your baseline for judging movies. I'm like, this is my new base level. Like, if it is not better than this, I don't want to watch it. Mm -hmm. Unless I'm there to hate watch it and talk shit with Sam. <laughs> Twilight. <laughs> oh, Twilight, exactly. Um, all right, so at the top of the film, we meet Milo, played by Bill Hader. Milo is miserable in his apartment, and he's writing his suicide letter. He doesn't know who to write it to, so he just addresses it to whom it may concern. Um, and then we see him get into a bathtub and blood start pooling in the water. A very sad start. Um, but we don't have to be sad because it's Bill Hader. I want to talk Bill Hader for a second. Love him. I He's probably one of my favorite, maybe top two SNL cast members. Nice. Yeah, it's a good placement. I really, um, he, he was in my heyday of like growing up in mm -hmm. high school. He was in the cast that I started with. And so uh, he was just hilarious on that. On SNL, obviously. And what's your favorite, like, what, what was your favorite bit with him? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> I have a video. Hi. Hi. I'm Stefan. Yeah, I know who you are. <laughs> okay, so Stefan, Halloween, always a big deal in New York. So why don't you tell us about some of the best spots for people to check out? Yes, if you need to get a spot checked out, I know just the place for you. New York's hottest club is Jelly Bones. <laughs> Located on the Lower Upper Side, this random home invasion is a creation of legally drunk clothing designer Nick Nolte and Gabbana. <laughs> As you walk in, you'll be handed a glass of champagne, or is it piss? <laughs> Needless to say, this place has everything. Slurpees, mush mouths, litter bugs, and don't worry about security because it's guarded by an army of hobo cops. Hobo cops. Homeless robo cops. Okay, yeah. 
Uh, Lizzie just showed me a wonderful clip of Stefan, Bill Hader's incredible character on the Weekend Update. Love Stefan. And I could see a little bit of the Stefanisms coming through in this performance, too. And I was just eating it up. Yeah, Stefan makes me chuckle more than anything. I don't know why. It's just... You never know what's going to come out of his mouth. He has he created such a character from like the little shirts to the way he holds his hands over his mouth. <laughs> I do that all the time. Look, Bill Hader is in my mind. <laughs> um, but like, so my introduction to Bill Hader was the Stefan character because mm-hmm. he was like my heyday when I watched SNL the most was during the Kristen Wiig, Bill Hader zone. And I thought until pretty much really recently, like maybe two years ago, that I assumed Bill Hader was gay (laughs) because of this movie, because of Stefan, because of just like he seems like someone I'd be really comfortable around. Like he just has a vibe that I was like, yeah, he's he's probably gay. He plays gay so well. I didn't even (laughs) question it. And then I saw like an article that was like Rachel Bilson and Will Hader showed up on the red carpet. And I was like, wait, Rachel as friends (laughs) together. (laughs) Um, And that. It was just such an interesting thing for me. Yeah, him as a perfect him as a person really tickles me. Like I saw a tweet, someone who was like the niece or nephew, I think of of Bill Hader, uh, <laughs> tweeted at them, and they they were like, "Oh, and um, your show's doing really well. It's trending on Twitter." And Bill responds, "I don't see any money from that." <laughs> <laughs> He's just like so dry and so silly. Uh, love um, it. And then something crazy that I found out is that. During, like, most of production, which took place in the weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas of 2013, Bill Hader would go to set on Skeleton Twins during the day and then at night go work on SNL. It was his final season at SNL, so he was, like, double-timing this shit. And I'm like, to go through that much action and emotion in a single day, like, I went to the grocery store today (laughs) and, like, did some light yard work and I had to lay down. Yeah, it reminds me of, like, Fred Armisen shooting Portlandia in parallel with SNL. I'm like, you're flying from New York to Portland. Who I, I feel like the airport there, it can't be great. <laughs> just like flying back every, you know, every few days. Gosh, I couldn't imagine. And that much comedy would just like drain my brain of everything. I'd be like, I don't want to be funny anymore. I, I want to be silent. Yeah. I'd yeah. love to be quiet. No, kudos to them to pull it off. So uh, we love you, Bill Hader. So next scene, we get to meet Maggie, who is Bill Hader's twin sister, played by Kristen Wiig. Um, She is standing at her bathroom sink with a handful of pills, also about to kill herself. These two are very sad. And she gets a call from the hospital that Milo has tried to commit suicide, but is was found and is okay. And she needs to come get him. Wait, not just a call. Her ringtone (laughs) is the theme song from Growing Pains. When it starts, I'm like, Ooh, why that? Why is that your ringtone? It sets the tone so perfectly, though, because it's such a lighthearted, groovy song. And she's like (laughs) in this really sad moment staring at her eyes in the mirror. It's the perfect show for what this film does, which is just oscillate rapidly but smoothly between wanting to laugh and wanting to cry. It does that in a way that there's not very many films that I've ever watched that can maybe other people would be the other example Mm -hmm. other people has a way of oscillating between like just the saddest most depressing cancer story ever and these absolutely hilarious molly shannon moments um it's hard to do but comedians they say are like the saddest people on earth and they're right (laughs) kristen wig is amazing i don't even feel like i even have to talk about her much because she's literally amazing we all love her that's uncontested right absolutely agreement agreement yes Great. Apparently, though, Anna Ferris was originally cast in this role, but had to drop huh. out due to conflicts. And I am curious about that, but so glad it was Kristen Wiig in the end. Are they even the same age, Anna Ferris and Bill Hader? They're, she's actually a year older than him, so they are almost exactly the same age. Damn. Okay. I was wrong. Look at that. No, I know what you mean, though. Anna Ferris has this, like, very childlike like blinking in the starlight kind of vibe to her yeah i would have watched that movie too yeah i would so, watch that movie it would, it's all fine has anna ferris done anything dramatic i want to see that she was in brokeback mountain right <laughs> as a comic relief character of course <laughs> no, never mind <laughs> it's in her future um okay so maggie goes to see milo in the hospital and we realize that they have not seen each other in 10 years and we have no idea why Milo calls himself a tragic gay cliche, 
and she invites him to stay back with her at her house in New York State. And like something I picked up from this watch of the film, I'd seen it several times before, but it, it never really like connected with me, is that when we first meet the twins and up until pretty much the dentist scene, we never see them together in the same shot very much. And if we do, they're like on the edge, absolute edge of frame, like nowhere near each other in the frame. Mm. Um, and it is until the dentist scene that we see them like, you know, that great shot where they're sitting against the filing cabinet and slide to the floor together. Yeah. It's one of the first times we see them like meeting together in the middle. And I just thought that's a really clever and simple way of showing how how opposite or how repelled they are by seeing each other at first. That's a really nice, like, concerted choice to to make, especially, yeah, with 10 years apart for siblings, I can't, I mean, what had to have happened, especially twins, to have, like, drove them so right. far apart? Yeah, it's interesting that they're twins and not just siblings because I'm not a twin, but they seem to share, like, the same brain. Mm -hmm. So Milo agrees to go stay with Maggie at her house in New York and... Um, when we get to Maggie and her husband Lance's house, it's literally the American dream minus the white picket fence. It's a stunning house. The inside is just immaculately decorated, very like soft, cozy colors, drapes in every room. It's definitely apparent that Maggie has spent a lot of time decorating it. And this is another thing I didn't quite clock uh, or had no reason to like look at so carefully when I first watched this film. But in my last watch, I realize that the set deck the set deck in this house is such a choice for like Maggie's state of mind and how she's always trying to like put up a front like she's always trying to present that everything is okay and I have this great life and you have no reason to worry because look how good everything looks and look how active I am I do all these classes and well we're trying to have a baby so she's all about putting up an appearance where Milo's kind of the opposite of that he does not seem able to lie or put up a front he is just bald face, who he is, almost to a fault. Uh, it definitely offends people, especially Maggie. She's offended by it. But it just, it's an interesting choice. And also, I love the way that house is decorated. Uh, maybe that is a reflection of my mental state. Who knows? <laughs> no, that, I like that you pointed that out because when they're at dinner, when they're sat having their first dinner together, I remember when she was like, oh yeah, I'm in a cooking class and I'm in a diving class and we're trying to have a baby. And I remember thinking like, that's not things someone would do if they're about to kill themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think that she's even almost trying to trick herself as well as everyone else by keeping this activity up and keeping this momentum going and not even really knowing why. Yeah. I'm sure she's like on her good days when she's able to leave the house and feeling good about it. She probably goes like straight to TJ Maxx and just <laughs> buys a bunch of shit, Candles. gives herself a project. Yeah. She seems like that kind of person because their house is chock full of shit. Yeah. And Milo actually like clocks her for this like basically right away has not seen this bitch in a decade and is like wow you're really going for it with the martha stewart house and the job and the lance uh he kind of sees right through what she's doing and it really gets under her skin but you can't hide from your twin no and i cannot hide from my co-host <laughs> i've tried yeah if i'll walk in and be like what the fuck is this are you sad <laughs> <laughs> bitch does not knock <laughs> Invites herself in. I know the passcode. Just walk in there. <laughs> oh, my God. So um, at the house, we meet Lance, who's played by Luke Wilson. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine if it was Owen Wilson? Owen Wilson, Anna Ferris. <laughs> and I love that. Oh, that would be the combo. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, everyone in the audio commentary like with uh, that I listened to, the director's commentary, <laughs> had like the same reaction to Luke coming on screen. It was like, oh, Luke, like, blink, blink, blink. We love him. <laughs> like, everyone is just, like, goo-goo for Luke Wilson. He is really cute. He reminds me of your partner, actually. Actually, I did see the Maggie-Lance dynamic a little bit. Like, we're, we're, not, we're not poisonous in any way. We're very healthy, but I could definitely <laughs> see the golden retriever aspects. Uh -huh. um, so Lance is... Like, literally, that's a good way to describe him, a uh, golden retriever. The director, Craig, calls him a nature frat boy and said that he was, like, from Boulder, Colorado, like, one of those types. And the scene where they go um, rock climbing is just so funny. Like, I can imagine that there is nothing less that Milo wants to be doing in his time 
especially like spending it with someone who's like just so unbearably positive. I would say Luke Wilson's character is too positive. I know. Yeah. And he has no clue. He's just like, he's in a different movie. He's, he's a, completely yeah. unaware. He's in like that movie where all the emotions are like cartoons. Yeah. He's in the Lego movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and one thing I learned about Luke Wilson that I did not know is that apparently he is hilarious and a great improviser. Like almost everything said on screen by Luke Wilson is improvised, Aww. which I think is really cool because, you know, compared to Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig, I was like, oh, well, obviously they're the comedic geniuses here. But apparently Luke Wilson held his own and, and was the one that Bill Hader had to fight against <laughs> cracking. <laughs> Anytime he would say anything, Bill Hader would have a hard time keeping a straight face. So at that dinner, we learned that Maggie and Lance are trying to get pregnant. We are trying to get pregnant. Um, and that next day, Milo pays a visit to the local bookstore and Maggie goes to her scuba class. Seems innocent enough, right? <laughs> no. Milo is actually at the bookstore to reconnect with his high school English teacher, Rich, played by Ty Burrell, who I know from Modern Family and nothing else. I don't think I know him from anything else. It was such an interesting choice to choose... What, like, America's daddy sweetheart for this role? Like, it was very intentional, I think. He does look like he could be an English teacher. Yeah, absolutely. A and someone one. who loves Moby Dick. Mm. He looks annoying. He annoyed me, but I also knew his backstory, so I was like, this guy's not a good guy. <laughs> I mean, as far as, like, you know, there's lots of bullshit about, like, underage relationships in films, but as far as, like, going into the depth of why goes like this movie goes pretty far and it's interesting how they do try to give him as much like empathy as possible you know he's not 100 percent like a bad guy yeah. you know like he does a lot of bad shit and he is a bad guy but he's just a human too and i thought that was interesting and like the scenes with him are easily the most uncomfortable for me to watch i think that they keep our emotions in step with how much we know about him. Mm -hmm. The more that we know, that's when it starts to sour with him and he starts getting snappy with Milo and being secretive and kind of an asshole. And yeah, at first you're like, oh, Ty Burrell, what is he doing here? And then you're like, wait, what is he doing here? Wait, what is going on? <laughs> oh no. And then you start doing the math and the details. So this movie does such a good job of like not telling you things until you need to know. Yeah. And like at this point we know almost nothing. So we meet Ty Burrell, and then Maggie, who is at her scuba diving class, is trying not to feel turned on by her uncomfortably attractive Australian Tom Felton lookalike instructor. Do you have to be Australian to be a swim instructor? Yeah. Or does it help? You do. <laughs> you do. <laughs> yes, you do. I am never going into the water ever again. Stop. Stop. <laughs> Stop. Oh, God. This guy is so fucking good. I've never seen this actor before. Or he can't be Australian, since, right? He's not. I fucking knew it. That was... But, his accent is worse than my Australian accent. And my Australian accent, I think, is pretty good. I, yours is pretty good. But here's the thing. <laughs> the scuba diver instructor on set was actually Australian, and he thought that Boyd Holbrook, who plays Billy, was Australian. So you, there you go. I think you're Australian, sweetheart. I think you're giving, like, um, Helena <laughs> Bottom Garden, Sweeney Todd. <laughs> That's how I learned. Like, <laughs> She's okay, Australian and Sweeney Todd. <laughs> She's, uh, Australian love their meat pies. They really do. They're called Aussie pies. Wait, I'm so sorry to take us down this rabbit hole, but what if they did an Australian version of Sweeney Todd? That would be my number one <laughs> favorite musical. <laughs> It's like, okay, never mind. I'm getting way too off track. Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. I would just imagine it as the Californians. The oh SNL my skin. God. <laughs> Second favorite Bill Hader. I love him in the appearance. Californians. Yeah, so funny. Oh, we live. Okay, so something way less funny happens next. Guess what? That night, Maggie goes home and Milo reveals that he found out that their mom was in town and invited her over for dinner. And Maggie is pissed. And we get to see, like, directly into some of the trauma that Maggie has lugging around behind her with this woman. Um, how would you describe her mom? Her mom is like a mix of, um, what's that show with Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda? Grace and Frankie. Yeah. Her mom is giving, yes. like, if Grace and Frankie had, like, a baby, if you mash those two people up. Because she kind of, she has, like, the darker features of Lily Tomlin with the curly hair, but she kind of is giving this, like, Jane Fonda, like, uh, pseudo-composure and 
she's all woo woo and the like crystals and shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll add in like a dash of goop. Yeah, very Gwyneth Paltrow. Paltrow. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And she, you know, she has, I mean, almost probably similar to Maggie, she has this facade of, of warmth, but yeah. she seems to be a really cold person. Oh my God, you fucking nailed that. I think that's what I have in my notes. If you have my notes up in front of you, <laughs> I will be pulling some tabs down. <laughs> oh my God. So, yeah, Maggie is traumatized by this woman, has not forgiven her at all for what sounds like abandoning them after their father committed suicide. And I get it. And this ties into, gosh, we like doing movies about mommy issues. This ties into all the mommy issues she has about having children because she, we learn in the next scene that she is secretly taking birth control pills. Okay, that's a gag. I I forgot that that happened and I saw this again in the movie and I was like, oh, yeah, what a shitty thing to do. But oh, I know. so sad. I know I was supposed to be like imparting like, wow, I was supposed to be feeling what Lizzie was feeling. And I was like thinking to myself, like, if my fiance did put something in a little basket, I would never find it. <laughs> you you are Lance. <laughs> and then I started thinking, where could I put something that my fiance wouldn't find it? And then I have this shelf of like dongles. Yes. And like <laughs> wires and cables. And I was like, oh, she'll never find it there. And you're having an emotional reaction. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's so sad. She's not charging and trust herself to be a good mom. And I'm like, I should go home and look in some baskets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure your partner does have little baskets of tiny soaps, yeah. like all strewn about the property genius hiding genius hiding oh god mommy issues am i right Mm -hmm. um so yeah milo takes her to work the next day and she asks him if he thinks she'll be a good mother and like we (laughs) talked about milo he cannot lie and he's kind of thrown off so he just says like you would be very attentive maybe a little uptight which is not what she wanted to hear but kind of what she needed to hear i think Mm -hmm. and she blows up at him and this is a great scene just to show how like These twins are so opposite, but like yin and yang in a weird way because Lance somehow doesn't know who Maggie is. I think it's partly his positivity is so bright. He refuses to see any darkness in her, but also she like lies and hides everything she is from him. Mm -hmm. Um, And she finally has someone in her life that just like swipes everything away. It's like, oh, that's bullshit. Next. Yeah. She is outwardly positive. But like inwardly very cynical where he is like outwardly cynical, like with Lance, he's like, whatever, I hate doing this. But inside he does have this like more, I guess, lust for life or joie de vivre or something, especially like with dancing and performing, you know, so they are kind of the yin and yang that you're talking about. I remember watching the scene and thinking, you know, if I asked my sister, like, would I be a good mom? Or if she asked me, would she be a good mom? I would be honest, regardless of like what I think the answer is, but I think it's different when you do know that they are trying for a kid. It's like if you do know that they're already on course to be a mom, just say they'll be a good mom. Like, I mean, or just don't, I guess, how do you avoid it if they ask you point blank in a car? Yeah, she was, as Lance puts it later, laying like minefield. It was just a minefield for him to get his, quote, nuts blown off, which is essentially <laughs> exactly what happened. Yeah. Lance's words, not mine. It's, that's what it felt like for sure. <laughs> Poor guy. Uh, If anyone can take it, though, it's him. So he comes back after her day at work and apologizes and jokes her out of her shell, which seems to be what Milo does for Maggie. Like, he's (laughs) the only time she actually seems alive and isn't just, like, dead trudging through life is whenever Milo's there, like, kind of pushing her buttons, but, like, trying to make her laugh. And I wanted to show you part of that dentist office scene because it just makes me laugh and makes me feel so good. And it reminds me of me and you when we're like <laughs> in a fucking off headspace uh-huh. because we're we act a fool. Yeah, we just hit each other in the giggle dick. In the right in the giggle dick. <laughs> Ow, your elbow went into my arm muscle. <laughs> your elbow went into my arm muscle, mister. Getting out of here. I just yatted your elbow went into my arm muscle. My paper route's gonna be screwed. (laughs) 
Yeah, literally the direction for this scene was no direction. It was like, you're both on nitrous trying to make each other laugh. Go. Yeah, the director's like, we've got to cut cost on the script because we're paying Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader, but they'll make up for it somehow. Absolutely. <laughs> we love a good fart joke. Ugh, there's just so much joy in this scene. Like, they are making each other laugh. And uh, even in comedies, you don't get to see that. Like, usually it's like you're throwing out joke after joke after joke. And there's no response. But in this movie, like, you get they're just, like, all-consuming, like, trying to one-up each other laughter. That yeah. is so good. Uh, it's, it, it, this scene in particular really reminds me of Bridesmaids and Maya Rudolph and Kristen Wiig's, like, connection. And when they're, like, do I have something? What, you think I'm pretty? Do I have something in my teeth? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, it reminds me of that. And, uh what a dream to to direct these. I mean, are you even directing at this point? You're just turning the camera on. No, I think Craig Johnson at, at multiple points was like, yeah, I knew these people were better at what they were doing than I could ever be. And so it was just like giving them guidance and the space they needed to do it. Love it. And that's exactly what you got to do. Um, so at the dentist's office, they have a secret swap. <laughs> Milo says, I'll tell you a secret if you tell me one. And he tells... Maggie that he had sex with a woman. <laughs> oh God. That it didn't go well. Um, and she admits to him that she is on birth control and that she's having an affair with her scuba instructor and had an affair with her French cooking instructor and her photography coach. It's bad. That was a much bigger secret. That was like 10 <laughs> secrets. Gosh, but she has, pr I mean, she hasn't told anybody that. Yeah. No one knows that. It doesn't seem like she has friends or anything. Right. I yeah. noticed that on this watch too. It's like she doesn't have anyone to call, which is so sad because she's living in the place she grew up in. Yeah. If you don't even talk to your twin, yeah. who do you talk to? She doesn't talk to Lance even, mm -hmm. this poor woman. Yeah. She's fucked. She's fucked. Um, but she's got Milo now. I want to talk about that scene real fast. Oh, actually. let's go. So there's actually one thing I thought that was cool about that scene. The shot is like the, a two shot of them. Like you were saying, like you don't normally see them together. They're finally together. And the background is like egg crates with files, patient mm -hmm. files. And that fills up the entire background of the frame. And it just made me think of like, I wonder if that's in the script, but it definitely feels like something that could be like screen written where it's like, this is the scene where they ask each other about their secrets. What's in the background? The files, like it's medical secrets, you know, oh. you can't share that with anyone else. Oh, so, good know. clock. I thought that was like a cool inclusion there. Literally, something I would never, ever <laughs> leave. You're sometimes, just great. I don't always think that way, but sometimes it hits me. <laughs> it, it, I saw that and I was like, oh, this, I feel like there's intention here. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah, I do know that those are the actual patient files at the location. Mm -hmm. So whether they were scripted or not, they yeah. definitely took advantage of that visual. It's gorgeous. I come in like, did Kristen would touch my thing? Be like, did she steal my file? Does you it smell know, like her? Can you I know they it? looked through those files. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Good clock. So Milo goes out to secretly meet up with Rich, and they he meets Rich at a bar, and they kind of get to drinking and catching up. And this is fucking so sad, but basically Milo is kind of lying to Rich to make himself seem like he's doing more successful acting in L.A. than he actually is. He's very much not working in acting. He doesn't have an agent, but she, he tells Rich he does. Um, he gets the gratification he's seeking because Rich is, just says all these nice things about him, like, I'd always know you were going to do something great with your life, and I'm so proud of you and all this stuff. And, you know, they do have, like, this lingering attachment here that Milo's obviously been holding on to for God, 15 fucking years. We don't know exactly how long, but a long time. And Milo goes home with Rich. And probably, to me, one of the hardest scenes to watch is the scene after this where mm -hmm. Milo wakes up at Rich's house and is, like, laying in bed. And Rich is, like, getting ready for work. And Rich is, like, obviously trying to hurry him out. And Milo's trying to just, like, stretch and take his time. And then he hands fucking Milo a rom-com script that he wrote to give to his agent called uh. Sunrise in Manhattan. I was like, fuck this guy. Oh, my God. It was like a trifecta of all the terrible things that you can do when you're kicking someone out of your apartment. God, and poor Milo just doesn't even see it yet for the shittiness that it is. And I'm just like, get out of there, dude. You deserve so much better. Like, how is Milo not, like, snatched up? I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, my heart really goes out to Milo. Like, it seems you have, like, your first love that's hard enough to lose. And then it's in this torrid situation where 
he's a sex offender oh. <laughs> and he's got his all like his closeted shit to his internalized homophobia and then you know hiding it from the only person who's really supporting you right now Ugh. so he should be the one that's like hurrying Ty out or hurrying exactly. rich out but it's it's it, that's what I'm saying. Like he comes off more cynical in his facade, but he really does have like a more, I don't know, hopeful yeah. outlook than than Maggie. But it just fucks him up in the end. Ugh. Exactly. He like really puts himself out there almost too much. Or at least like he doesn't choose the right person in this case to put himself out there with. Yeah. We don't know about his past relationships, but we can assume they didn't go as great as he would like. Yeah. Um, Because his first relationship is what caused him to commit suicide. Right, exactly. In the very opening scene, we see him like dunk a photo of him and what we can assume is his ex-boyfriend into his aquarium before he um, writes his note, his suicide note. So he's not lucky in love. And I just got to say, like, if I had any advice for these two twins, it's like, if you don't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? It's Can I get a gay man? Gay man. It's just the basics. <laughs> it's like commandment number one. It's fundamental. It's fundamental. <laughs> um, so Maggie is also having a terrible day sexually. She goes to try to break up with her Australian scuba buddy. And ends up having sex with him again instead and has, like, a great reaction. Like, we just see her right after this in her car just screaming, bullshit, 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 bullshit. I'm like, yeah, girl. It's, like, funny, but it hurts. Like, yeah, that fucking sucks. Offside, I made Lizzie watch Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And uh, one of my favorite lines is when Kristen (laughs) Bell says, Oh, I'm Aldis Snow. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. You sound like you're from London. You sound like you're from London. <laughs> I had the audacity to tell Sam that, like, I saw that movie. I didn't think it was very funny. I was like, shut your fucking mouth right now. We're going home and we're putting it on. We did. And I, like, did not stop laughing. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, she breaks up with this guy in the least breaky up way. She's like, maybe we should, unless you don't want to stop. But she does not put up too much of a fight. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, in her defense, she's like pretty hot, but also not. Yeah, with his neck tattoo. He's he's not hitting anything for me. He's not lesbian approved. Oh. Oh, what is that? Is he, hmm? is he bisexual approved? Bisexual approved. <sighs> Ding. <laughs> Random scuba instructor from a film 10, 20 years old. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so she's in a really low point, and this next scene is... Like, I am not exaggerating when I say one of my favorite scenes in all of cinema history. I look this scene up and watch it on YouTube all the time. In the, in the script, it's just two lines. Something to this effect. Maggie sits depressed on the couch. Milo sings a song to make Maggie laugh. End of scene. <laughs> How it plays out is much better than that. Surprised! I never saw the song at karaoke. I don't think. <gasps> I have something to say about that. Karaoke function. Yeah. Not from the heat. <laughs> tears are coming out of my pores. I am crying. <laughs> tears are coming. My body is crying. <laughs> Sam, can you give a brief verbal description of my favorite scene in all of movie history? Yeah. I mean, if you've seen this movie, you know the scene we're talking about. Uh, incredible performance. Milo comes in to cheer Maggie up. At first, she's quite reluctant. He puts on incredible song, gives a little bit of a performance. It's giving, hey, mom and dad, sit down. We've been working on something. <laughs> yes. And no uh, he, at first, like I said, Maggie is reluctant to join in. But when she does finally just start enjoying herself, we see that camera change that Lizzie was talking about. They're finally in the same frame. And it feels like a music video that I don't want to end. Like if this was a musical, I would be so overjoyed. Yeah, it's such a joyful scene. Just no one brings Maggie out of her shell except for Milo. And this is like the epitome of, you know, they used to do this when they were kids in their bedroom. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know that they can still do it now. It's the chemistry between them is absolutely unreal. Um, And okay. Okay. I have been working up the balls to do this in karaoke for like 
eight years now, I think we should do it for karaoke. Yeah, I got the guy's part. You got the guy's part? Yeah, Perfect. You I can, can do this. The, yeah, you can. Ah! No, we're gonna we're gonna fucking murder this song next time we go to karaoke. <laughs> yeah, the karaoke bar is dead empty. It's like bone dry. It's just me and Lizzie <laughs> singing the song at four o'clock. That's how I prefer to do karaoke, honestly. I agree. I think that also I had a funny thought while watching this, totally unrelated. But me and my sisters would also like choreograph songs that had like sexual meanings or like you know they're implying that they're fucking each other in yeah. this song we would like do dance numbers to like two become one by the spice <laughs> girls and her parents are like do they fucking know what the uh, shit fucking means good job, girls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so when i hear when i hear that song i think of my sisters and i'm like wait i shouldn't i shouldn't what this is weird this is it's totally fine it's just fun among siblings fun yes <laughs> so this song is nothing's gonna stop us now by starship and it was originally scripted to be hold on by wilson phillips bridesmaids hold on for one more day yeah. yeah but bridesmaids came out a couple years before that so they had to audition a few other songs kristen wick had a hard on for this fucking song i think i, know, I followed her it's great that that they're I mean the music choice this whole film is in, impeccable but they do a really good job of like rooting the characters in nostalgia yeah. for like a specific decade and it doesn't feel like a gimmicky stranger things like you know we're in the 80s now it's like mm -hmm. these are like kind of deeper cuts this isn't yeah. like journey this isn't like you know anything like that so Especially like the Growing Pains theme song. I was like, oh, fuck yeah, take me back. It is so specific. It builds the character. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's not fan service for the audience. Mm -hmm. It's for the characters themselves. Yes. And mm -hmm. that's what makes it so rich. Yeah. Oh, man. Lee, do you have anything uh, to add about this scene? You're a professional KJ by trade. Yeah, I was just uh, saying that I've never seen anyone do this at karaoke, which is surprising because it is such a monster hit. It's right. an amazing song. A uh, great duet. I guess you don't see as many duets as you would expect, at least where I was um, KJing. Um, We're going to change that. We'll I'm, I'm thinking, this. I'm like, poor thing. He doesn't know what he started. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to be able to go to a single karaoke bar without me and Lizzie yeah. trailing behind you. It's <laughs> great. It's an amazing scene. So Love good. it. Love it's it. So good. Okay. So we roll right out of this. Um, Milo is feeling on top of the world. He's got this playing in his headphones. He goes up and knocks on Rich's door and Rich's son answers, who's awkward. 15. It is awkward, awkward, awkward. Okay. Let me just quick aside. This, yeah. this person looks like 25 years old. <laughs> He's short. Kids but are minors. They that can't That does not work. a child make. <laughs> that does not a child make. I assure you. No, uh, it's because minors only can work like two minutes a day. They're like, he said someone. one word and walked away. Spring for the 18 year old at the very least. <laughs> I saw this kid and I was like, is that another guy he's dating? <laughs> this, is, this guy looks old. Miscast. <laughs> Miscast. Missed. Uh, Rich is so fucking rude to him. It's that like hella ingrained homophobia in him coming out. He's like, my kid's in there. And I'm like, hold on. Your kid you said was 15. And we learn later in the movie. No, you said your kid is 16. And we learn later in the movie that Milo was 15 when he all started all his relationships. Yeah. So like get over yourself dude like mm -hmm. wait the fuck up mm -hmm. this scene makes me so sad and to come after this like amazing high and just go right back down this movie just fucking they don't give a shit about your emotions they said nah. uh. they don't go fuck so milo is understandably very upset he goes to a bar slams a bunch of tequila ends up getting up on a rooftop and the cops bring him back to maggie's house and he has this like very awful spiel you know, like, I was bullied by this guy in high school, and I looked him up recently, and you know what? I was always told that the jock would peak in high school, but this guy has a beautiful wife, beautiful life, beautiful kids, and it turns out I'm the one that peaked in high school. And, like, this is kind of, like, the crux of, I think, his depression and anxiety is that he is unable to keep up the facade like Maggie is and, and like, have these bigger aspirations for himself, but... The world just, like, really failed him. I mean, the world failed Maggie as well. Because I don't feel like they can really cope with everything that happened to them when they were children. Like, their dad's suicide and their mom alienating and leaving them behind. So, it just sucks. Yeah. That moment really hits home for me as, as like, also... 
I think all queer people are fed this, like it gets better thing. And, you know, when you move out, when you become yourself, all of a sudden you're going to have this great and amazing life. And all those people that bullied you are going to be stunted in what, in whatever case that may be. But it's, it's hard to know that like (laughs) accepting yourself, loving yourself and getting rid of all this internalized homophobia doesn't guarantee that you're going to have a perfect life. It doesn't solve everything. So it's hard to see him grapple with that. Like, I did it. Like, I made it out and I'm still not happy. Like, mm-hmm. ugh, that fucking sucks. It fucking sucks, especially because he's been so alone and Maggie's so alone. And they kind of just like, at times they bring out the best in each other, but sometimes they kind of don't really help that darkness heal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but in this case, Maggie does try to do for Milo what Milo did for her with the uh, Starship song, and she puts him in drag, naturally. This is what you must do for your upset gay brother. Absolutely. And bring him out to Halloween. And so they go out to a bar together. She's dressed like a cowboy. He's dressed like the queen mother. May she rest in peace. Or pieces. <laughs> He's giving uh, Mars attacks. <laughs> that's the only thing I could <laughs> think of. Maybe that's it. Him yeah. and drag. That's got to be it. Uh, but they have a beautiful time. And there's another great scene here where... Um, you know, they go to dance at the bar and a slow song comes on and they just kind of end up just holding each other, <laughs> swaying. It's so beautiful. And that was actually like all this stuff in the bar where they're talking and giggling and dancing was their first day on set together. Craig had shot some other stuff with the Rich and Milo characters sooner, but this was like the first day he got to see Kristen and Bill be together on set. And obviously everyone was overjoyed. Like I think they said that that day was the day they knew that this movie was going to be you know, was going to hit home like they wanted it to. Yeah. Great scenes. Um, uh, sadly, at the end, Maggie notices Rich calling Milo's cell phone and confronts him. And basically is like, look, I'm not doing this again. Like, it comes out that she was the one that kind of brought their relationship to light when she learned about it when she was 15. And she says, like, I'm done feeling guilty for that. He's a child molester. Yeah. And uh, Milo comes to his defense saying, well, he made me feel good when no one else could or would. And she says, I'm done. I'm not I'm not doing this again. Yeah. <sighs> Ugh. Ugh. And the next day, we're not sure if it's out of, like, retaliation or out of, like, actual goodwill to help her but milo reveals to lance he hints that maggie might be hiding something and then lance investigates and finds the birth control pills that maggie was hiding confronts maggie and she tells him about the affairs and he's heartbroken and walks out and um she blames milo they get into a huge fight um that ends with both of them saying very mean things to each other and it's not good. Uh, Kristen and Bill said this was a very hard scene to shoot because they do feel so much like siblings to each other. And it's hard to say something that cruel to your your favorite person on earth. Yeah, I think Kristen Wiig is the, uh, she says the like harshest line. What yeah. is it that she says? She says you should have cut deeper, basically. Ugh. Ugh. And you can see on her face she like regrets it but doesn't want to apologize yet and just kind of steals herself against it oh it's so sad yeah i think milo i don't think there was any good intention to what he was you know what i think it was a direct retaliation to their fight the previous night when he told lance like oh maybe you should check those little fucking baskets yeah um and then he even says like i'm tired of feeling like i'm the one that's fucked up yeah and Yeah, they just implode. They just implode on each other. It's a great revelation of their dynamic because he, again, calls her out like, just because you're acting healthy doesn't mean you are healthy. You know, you don't have a good relationship. Like, you are not an okay person. So stop acting like I'm the only one here that is unwell. Yeah. You know, and he's totally right. He calls her out on it. It's valid for him to call her out on it. I don't think he should have meddled in their relationship. I agree. Yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the complication of family. And I'm sure twin drama is like way more dense <laughs> yeah, than twin any other drama. drama. Oof, glad I'm never going to have to experience that. If there was two of you, I would be... Because you imagine? Oh my God. No, I would... No. It'd no. be a lot. Could you... No, I couldn't. Mm-mm. No, I'm so glad. There can only be one. One. Yeah, I would have swallowed them. <laughs> in the womb. In the womb. Perhaps you did. It wouldn't have gotten this far. <laughs> Perhaps I did. I'm so beefy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Maggie's had enough. She leaves a note, suicide note for Milo on his voicemail. She takes weights to the local pool where she does her scuba lessons. 
ties them to her ankles and jumps into the pool. But at the bottom of the pool, she panics, tries to untie herself but can't, and Milo at the last second shows up and frees her and saves her life. And they have this great moment where they kind of are finally, they both have hit rock bottom and they know they're both at rock bottom together. So what do they do? They decide to go up from there and we end the movie with them. We see that they have moved in together, gotten an aquarium full of goldfish and perhaps there's hope for our skeleton twins. Lizzie was like, it looked like you were going to cry a little bit. I cried so much during this movie. It's like crazy. It's such a beautiful scene. And I mean, he saved her from killing herself twice, technically. Yeah, true. Inadvertently and then directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last thing I wanted to show you before I get into the wrap up. Um, so I tracked my emotional state throughout this film on a line graph. Would you like to see my I'm my the Virgo. Since when do you graph? You were rubbing off on me so hard. It's crazy. Data is beautiful. So to make this line graph, basically for each pivotal moment in the film, I gave it a ranking on a scale of 1 to 10. Not necessarily by like best to worst, but with the lowest points towards zero being how close I was to crying and the points closest to 10 being how hard I was laughing. So it's not like a best to worst, but um, basically, so the higher the point gets on the graph, it's the happiest I'm feeling. And then the lowest is like the saddest I'm feeling. And I just put in a lot of the like bigger moments in the film. So for example, the scene at the dentist's office got a nine out of 10, meaning I was laughing very much. And the scene where Milo saves Maggie at the end, I gave a one because I was weeping. (laughs) And I'm, I'm pretty sure the directors didn't even do this much work. <laughs> I just, I, whenever I watch this film, I get such a feeling of like waves. Just you go directly from like high to super low, back to high to super low. And I was just curious how how that would look um, plotted out. <laughs> to me, it looks like the, the like looking out at the Rocky Mountains on a hike. It's like jagged peaks going very high to very low to very high to very low. Um, it is quite scenic, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I just needed to do this for me. And I guess for you. I just kind of wanted to show off a little bit. It, yeah. I mean, it looks like a, a good like plot point one, plot point two. Not to get nerdy about it, but you can see the dramatic arc yeah. in the film, you know, like where it gets exciting and then where it kind of drags you down. Yeah, and it kind of, like, it definitely tapers towards the end. There's, like, a very low stretch uh, there at the end. If I could say one thing before we, like, completely wrap. Yes. I think that after the Halloween, the pacing kind of drags just a little bit. I Mm -hmm. just want to mention it because I said there were, like, some things that I didn't love. And that's just me being, like, nitpicky. But it wasn't a long movie, um, and it wasn't long for the sake of being long. So I think it's all fun. Yeah, I think you're right. That's the last moment that we laugh for sure. Yeah, for sure. It's their moment in Halloween. And after that, it's sadness and depression, baby. And suicide and potentially death. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so to wrap up, this film had a budget of $1 million and grossed $5.8 million just in its theatrical box office. So very much an independent success. Yeah, and it's still to this day my favorite movie by this director and by these actors. Uh, Both of them were given huge amounts of acclaim for their performances, and uh, I don't think either one of them have topped it to this date. I mean, I haven't seen Barry, but to me this is the best they have done, and I I love this movie. Um, Any final thoughts before we we get to the scores? No, I I think you did a great job. I, I love this movie so much. And with that, we'll score this bad boy. Let's score these skeletons, bitch. How do the scores work, Sam? Uh, How the subtextual score works is that we judge the movie in two categories. How good is it and how gay is it? Those categories are judged out of 10. And then we average them and we get an overall subtextual score. Great. So, Sam, on a scale of 1 to 10, how good is this movie? Mm, It's quite good. It's quite good. I'll give it an 8. An 8. Oh, my I want to give it an eight or a nine. You love this movie. I do. It says your favorite scene in cinematic history. Yeah, I'll give it a nine. I love the shit out of this movie. So, Sam, on a scale of one to ten, how gay is this movie? Um, I'll give it a nine. We don't see sex. 
but they do have it. So I'm giving it a nine. Mm -hmm. I give it a nine as well. Oh, I also didn't get into this, but I think Kristen Wiig's character is bisexual. Anyway. <laughs> Just throw that at the end for Lanyard. Yeah. We what? get an overall subtextual score of 8.75. All high. right. Happy, happy as a clam, you could say. It breaks into our top 10. No way. What number? Number six. I love that. I love that for us. Absolutely. Good Fantastic. job, everyone. So, Sam, did you learn anything today? Yeah, I learned that Growing Pain's theme song is just a really good track. It's a bop. Absolutely a bop. Oh my gosh. And I learned that Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now is a song we're going to be singing together very, very soon. It's in the near future. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for for like just filling me in on everything about this film. I ugh, Now it's a little bit closer to my heart. Thanks for sticking with me. Oh, we should get those skeleton tattoos that they have. Oh, yes. You mentioned that definitely. while we were watching it together, and I was like, yeah. Yeah, Skeletwins. Skeletwins. Love it. All right. See y'all next week. Yeah, see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to keep this content ad-free, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash subtextualpod. See you next week.